Hey, good morning. I wasn't going to talk about my eye, but I, yeah, I was going down 522 and I passed, I had my window down pretty afternoon. I passed somebody that was across the yellow line. I thought I was over far enough and our mirrors banged and all the glass from my mirror, like shrapnel came into my truck and cut my left eye, the cornea, they say I have a corneal laceration. So yeah, it's a, it's a much longer healing process according to the eye doctor than I was, than I was anticipating it to be. You know, you think you, you know, your eye usually heals pretty quick, but uh, I guess when you cut it all the way in and all the goo's coming out, it takes a while for that to uh, heal up. But um, yeah, so Pastor Bernie texted me, I don't know, a couple weeks ago and said, would you be interested in filling the pulpit for me when I was in South Carolina? And, you know, if you ever want to, uh, I don't know, shake yourself um, spiritually right, say, yeah, sure, I'll preach, you know, to stand up and talk for 30 minutes. And it, uh, it yeah, it's always kind of a humbling thing um, for me to stand up here because I'm one of you, you know, you're my people, I'm your people. And... Um, but God's God, right? You know, and the Bible says to be ready in season and out of season. Um, so, yeah, so as I was thinking about what I would say, let's pray. Let's go ahead and start. God, I just thank you for this morning, Lord. I truly love being here and worshiping you, God. I love your spirit. I love your presence, God. I love what the song says. When we draw near to you, God, there's a peace that we can't fake, God. So, Lord, I pray for anyone here that doesn't have that peace, that doesn't know you in their hearts, Lord, that is doubting it, God, that they would feel your fullness today, God. They would know your fullness more than their feelings, God, that they would know deep down inside of them that you are who you are, Lord, and you are their salvation, their rock, Lord. So we pray right now for the next how many ever minutes this turns out to be, God, that you would be in it, Lord, that I would say nothing of me but totally of you, Lord. Um, we just ask that you... Just bring and water the seeds, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I titled the sermon, The Psalms 19 Life. And kind of what that came from is probably like a couple months ago, Pastor Bernie read uh, a scripture that said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. And that peaked quick because I had a pastor named Jeff Hall that was his benediction every Sunday when he would close the service. And so I said, you know, I don't even really know where that is, but that, that's good, right? That's, that's good. And so I looked it up, um, and it is Psalms 19. Um, so I'm going to read all of that. Um, but I just, as I read it, I really saw like, this is almost like the Lord's Prayer is our model template for prayer. You know, that I almost see like Psalms 19 is our model of our day-to-day, -day, our life. Um, so I'm going to start right there. And it's so cool, Hunter. I don't know where you went. There's part of this that I read it, and I, I, didn't, I didn't go to commentaries, but I did look up a lot of stuff in the Strong's Concordance. So I really love, like, seeing. And God showed me something really cool. I hope I can convey it well that, it, that you can see it too. But um, let me read it, and then I'll, I'll touch base. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. And I read that, and I was like, well, this guy doesn't really talk. And then Hunter stands up and says that, that the stars actually yeah. have sound. And I'm, I, was, I was kind of messed up, you know, that God's goodness, that he, he gives us what we need, you know. Um, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. 
Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Did I give you Psalm 19 all the way, Mariah? I'm not even looking behind me. Okay. Which is, all right. Its rising is from one end of heaven in its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from I just cloud up. Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. All right, so not to like, I've got a lot of scripture, and like I kept I kept thinking, well, I've got a few stories and a few uh, illustrations, but it was like, God just kept, I'm sure it happens to you, like, what about this verse? That works really well. What about this one? So I tried to organize it in a way that my, everything will kind of connect and go, but I'm going to go back through Psalms 19 a little slower, and I'm going to add some stuff. I'm not really adding stuff, but I looked up every word that the Strongs has, and just like, what, is this, what does this do to it as we read it? Um... Let me go over kind of the, the template that I saw first. So the Psalm 19 life, kind of number one, you start every day with an awe and appreciation of God's creation, right? You know, we have a pretty cool spot where our house is and we can see the sun rising. And often, and we see also we get beautiful rainbows. Um, but my children have kind of developed this habit. It's probably picked it up from us. Like Hannah will get up and say, look at the sky. And she'll run and get her iPad and take pictures, you know, that... I hope they're appreciating God's creation. Um, You know, often though, you hear all the devil can do is copy what God has done, you know? And you see people like worshiping Mother Earth and they talk about the energy and the this and the that. And it's like, just worship the creator and appreciate his creation, you know? That's where our roots are. But anyway, so kind of number one. Number two, God shows us that we have a way of living that is set before us each day, a purpose, a path. You see that when it talks about the sun coming out and running like a man running his race. Number three, we must, we must know and apply the law of God in our lives. God rule, God's rules are not there to, not, to make us miserable, but to free us to live happy and free and peaceful. Uh, let's see, number three, we must, number four, sorry, we must have a reverent respect and awe of God and desire his rule and reign in our lives. Number five, we are, we're twisted and can't know all of our faults and sins. We must ask God to show us our pitfalls. Um, number six, we must allow Jesus to be the filter of our thoughts. We need to know the word of God. All right, so I'm going to go through Psalm 19 again, okay? All right, the heavens declare the abundance of God is another so what I'm reading, I'm not like, this is not my made-up mess. This is, when you look it up in the Hebrew, this is other words that we would use in our language to just say what God's saying, okay? What, 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 I don't know who writes Psalm 19. Honestly, I should have looked at that. But okay, 
The heavens declare God's abundance. And the firmament or the arch in the sky shows his deeds, his works, his achievement, his occupation. Day unto day utters or gushes forth. Day unto day gushes forth speech or another one they had was his promises. So day unto day gushes forth God's promises. And night unto night reveals his discernment or his understanding. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Verse 4. Their line has gone out through the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle, or a tent, or a dwelling place for the sun. I thought about that. I'm sure, Bernie, we've shown the How Great Is Our God video. You know, this, this, the, the greatness of our, our universe. Which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong, brave, mighty man to run its race, or path, road, or way of living. I thought that was really good. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The directions or instructions of the Lord are perfect, complete, sound, whole, converting. This is really good. Are right, y'all, y'all listening? Converting, which is turn back or turn away. And then this was, I was like, not necessarily with the idea of return to the starting point. You know, that God takes us on a journey, on a path. And I'm not supposed to be where I was five years ago. I'm not supposed to be where I was yesterday. It's Miss Clark. Is God more real today than he was yesterday? Hunter and Amanda were over, and we were talking with them about your first love. And I, this is not in here. but And, you know, so often we, we talk about leaving your first love, and it can be convicting. You're like, man, I'm not as excited or I'm not as passionate. But Megan made a point like, our marriage of 15 years is so much different than it was when we were on our honeymoon. It's exciting and it's fun, but our love is much deeper now because we've gone through a lot of stuff. So our relationship with the Lord, you may feel like I may not, I may not have the passion that I had or the excitement, but you may have a deeper relationship with the Lord. So I think sometimes I can beat myself up of leaving the first love, um, but I thought that was good, the point that she made about that. So we're not returning necessarily to where we came from. The testimony of the Lord is sure to build up and support, making wise the simple. The statutes of the commandments of the Lord are right, rejoicing or brightening up the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening, to give light, shine, and brighten your eyes. The fear or the terror, awesome or terrifying thing of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. Um... We'll skip down to 12. Who can understand or separate mentally his errors, his moral mistakes, his swerves? Cleanse me from my secret, hidden, concealed faults. Withhold or restrain your servant also from arrogant, proud, or the NIV says willful sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of transgression. And then 14, let the words of my mouth and the resounding music of my heart. That's what, that was another, isn't that good? It's just like, what is playing? And I, 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 at this point, I tried to like find some like rage music and some happy music and some like, you know, like war music to, to like play, but I couldn't really get it together last night. But what is the music of your heart? Um, 
of my heart be acceptable, pleasure, delightful in my sight. So may the resounding music of my heart be pleasurable and delightful in the Lord's sight. O Lord, my rock or my boulder and my kinsman or my redeemer. And that, that kinsman thing is, is to go into buy back property, it said. Or in the, you know, in the Bible times when somebody loses their husband, their, their next of kin is supposed to take care of the widow. And that's what God does to us, that he buys us back. He takes care of us. So, let's see. Yeah. All right, so we're going to spend most of the time on the latter part of the Psalms 19. Um, because for me, that's where the collision happens between me and God. Okay? So, we'll go back to the, kind of that first point, or number one, that we start every day with an awe and appreciation of God's creation. So, Lamentations 3.22 through 24 says... Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I, I hope in him. You know, it, it's, the, it's the Bible school song. This is the day. This is the day. I mean, it's so simple, but it, it's so hard for us, isn't it? You know, not to wake up. You know, already beat down or discouraged or depressed. All of that is real, but Joel's over there hiding in the corner. He said something a long time ago that I often reference. You were preaching and you said, what you feel isn't real. You know, and so often we definitely operate in our feelings. Um, then what, you know, we talked about the two and three points, you know, of God shows us a purpose and a path every day. Um, on point number three, we must know and apply the law of God in our lives. God's rules are there to not make us miserable, but to free us to live happy and guilt-free lives, right? So Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We've got to know the Word of God. We've got to be in the Bible because if I'm not holding this up like as a mirror, it says, I can start to compare myself to all sorts of things, right, and think I'm okay. Um, but when you get in this, I've often said, if we just took a couple verses out of this, and some of them I'm going to read later, and we truly live by that every day, I would be a different person. Like, much less the whole word of God, just a couple verses. Um, number four, we must have a reverent respect and awe of God and desire his rule and reign in our lives. So I'm going to read something from, actually, John Bevere's website. Because the fear of the Lord is something I, I really, I didn't know how to explain, right? We know it's a reverent respect. We know it's an awe of God. But there is a fear aspect of it. Um, and so when I read this, I was like, this says this really well, and it says it better than, than I could. So from John Bevere, Scripture, from John Bevere, Scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's Proverbs 1, 7. That verse is familiar, familiar to many of us, but it's not necessarily easy to understand. A lot of people read those words and conclude that the fear of the Lord means being afraid of God. That couldn't be further from the truth. So what does it mean to fear God? To put it simply, to fear God is to love him so much we are afraid to be away from him. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. We love him and value his presence above all. Out of reverence for him, we choose to love what he loves and hate what he hates. 
in the end, the fear of the Lord can be identified by one simple thing, obedience. People who fear God obey him instantly, obey him even if it doesn't make sense, obey him even if it hurts, obey him even if they don't see the benefit, obey him to completion. For a prime example of this, we can look to the story of Abraham, because if you look at Genesis 22, you'll find that one night God instructs this father of faith to sacrifice his beloved son, Isaac. To Abraham, this must seem absurd. Is he hearing correctly? I could totally see that. Like, that's totally the devil, right? How can this be? He loves his son. What's more, kings and nations are promised to come through Isaac's family line. How can God's promise be fulfilled if Abraham kills him? But like, God, this doesn't make any sense, right? Wouldn't we all say that? But the Bible says there's a way, I don't know if I put that verse in there, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in, in the end, it leads to destruction. Abraham cries out to God, what? He says, how can you tell me to do this? You promised me nations would come through him, but there's no divine response, only silence. How many of us would take a few weeks, months, or even years to ponder such a command and eventually convince ourselves it wasn't reasonable? But Abraham is different, we read. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He obeys instantly. Have you ever been around someone who lightheartedly comments, God's been dealing with me about this for several months, and laughs it off? It's tragic when you think about it. They're bragging about their lack of godly fear. God instructs Abraham to sacrifice the greatest promise of his life, something he'd walked, waited 25 years for, and doesn't give him an explanation for the request. It doesn't make sense for Abraham to give Isaac up, yet he still obeys. The thought of sacrificing his young son hurts Abraham deeply. deeply. The inward pain continues to nag him through the three days of travel to the mountain where he plans to fulfill God's command. This was all a little easier up front. When Abraham had just heard the voice of God. But with each passing day, the pain intensifies. The struggle hits its high point as Abraham and his son build the altar. Yet Abraham still obeys. The Almighty doesn't tell Abraham that if he obeys, another sacrifice will be provided in, the, in place of his son. Unlike you and me, Abraham doesn't have the book of Genesis to read. So he doesn't know the outcome. He sees no, no benefit in this command, yet he still obeys. Finally, Abraham goes the distance. He climbs the mountain, builds the altar, ties Isaac up, and is ready to thrust a knife into his beloved son's heart. I'm sorry. I, like, just saw Noah, like, sure. He obeys to completion as a knife looms over Isaac. An angel appears and cries out, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. How does the angel know Abraham fears God? Because Abraham obeyed instantly. When it didn't make sense, when it was painful, when there was no promised benefit, and he obeyed to completion. Abraham's priority was obedience to God above all else. Yeah, I mean, that said it well, didn't it? <clears throat> but as I don't have it bad enough, I got one cloudy eye and tears in the other. <laughs> Golly. All right, so we're going to go on to number five. We're twisted and can't all of our faults and sins. We must ask God to show us our pitfalls. Um, I used to pray a prayer kind of when I, 
I guess when I, I really got on fire for the Lord, and I, I guess I saw my me as a ship, as a really big ship. And, you know, there's the, the bridge where they drive the boat and, or the ship. You know, and there's the engine room. And there's just compartment and room after room after room. And it was like, I was like, God, you, you drive it, you know. You're the captain. And it was like, I felt like God was like, all right, yeah, I'm driving it. And, you know, and after a while, God would be like, what's, what's behind this door, you know. What's going on over here? And I'm like, oh, man, I guess I haven't opened that one up to you, you know. And you open that one up to, you, to him, you know. And then kind of like what, we don't return necessarily to the point that we were at when we start to be redeemed by the Lord, you know. And then he'll go over here. What's in this closet, you know. And we've got to, we've got to let God work on us. Yeah. We are a work in progress until we go and be with him, you know. So we read earlier in Hebrews 4, 12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the only way we're going to know our nastiness is to just give it to God every day. This whole sermon is just about a true relationship with the Lord. It's it, every day. We realize I, there's not a whole lot good in me, Lord, unless you put it in there, you know, unless you take out the bad and put in the old. So the word of God, I'm going to read a story about a prosecuting attorney. And we're going to talk about a little old woman that we're going to call the word of God, okay? So when you hear little old woman, you think that's what the word of God is. The story is told of a prosecuting attorney in a small town courthouse called his first witness, an elderly woman, to the stand. He approached her and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why, yes, I do. Mr. Williams, I've known you since you were a young boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You're a lie, a cheat. You manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a rising big shot. But you haven't the brains to realize you will never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. The lawyer was stunned. Not knowing what else to do, he pointed across the room and asked Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? She replied, why, of course I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster. I used to babysit him, and he too has been a real disappointment to me. He's lazy, bigoted, and has a drinking problem. The man can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Yes, I know him. At this point, the judge wrapped the courtroom to silence and called both lawyers to the bench. In a very quiet voice, he said, If either of you ask her if she knows me, I'll hold you both in contempt of court. You know, we don't have to let God in. We don't have to let this word discern us. It's really a choice. So... Back to point six, we must allow Jesus to be the filter of our thoughts and our words. We need to know the word of God. We got a couple things like I was looking at words and thoughts and kind of some funny stuff. But um, it says talk is cheap because the supply always exceeds the demand. One of the lessons of history is that nothing is often a good thing to do and always a clever thing to say. 
Because a woman's vocal cords are shorter than a man's, she can actually speak with less effort than he can. Shorter vocal cords not only cause a woman's voice to be more highly pitched, but also requires less air to become agitated, making it possible for her to talk more with less energy expended. That's for you, Pastor. I wasn't expecting you to be here, but... It's kind of like being the teacher when the principal comes in to, like, shadow you, you know? Like, the pressure's on. He's sitting right there, you know? Luke 6.43 says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of, a good, out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know, I've often kind of separated that scripture and think like fruit is what we do, right? That's kind of, I've always, I've always until I read it for preparing for this, I've always thought fruit is what we do. But it's almost like Jesus is saying fruit is what we say. Um, you know, I just, I, I think it's both, but I never really thought about the, I thought the fruit is what we say and I kind of separate well out of the abundance of the heart, out of abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, so we can see our meditations definitely impact our words, right? Just like Psalm said, just like the prayer was, let's see what this says. Do you know who wrote Psalm 19? Yeah. A Psalm of David. Yep. So as David said, as his prayer was in this. Um, let's see. So I got, I got two more scriptures. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate, there's that word again, on these things. And then Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Bible puts some pretty hard hurdles to jump you know when you read that when you when you start thinking about what do I think about um and how it impacts us I listened to a, a, another sermon and the guy said if something comes out of my mouth that wouldn't come out of Jesus's it shouldn't be coming out and it was like you know he says stuff in a way that it's like you know like somebody just kicked me in the gut you know um so where are the areas of meditations that our hearts are unfruitful that we can be tempted to camp out in, you know? Um, we can camp out in discontentment. We can camp out in anger. We can camp out in jealousy or justification or judgmentalism, if that's a word. Um, I deleted my Facebook account four or five months ago. And... Uh, so I texted Megan, and she's like, you know, what happened or what was the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever? Because we have kind of talked about it. And I actually went back in my text message to, to read what actually I said to her. 
and I said, it hardly ever causes me to think like Jesus. I get judgmental, prideful, mad, or jealous. <laughs> you know, and so I'm going to bear my nasty soul. Like, I don't have enough spiritual discipline to be able to look at this and not, you know, inside. Um, but often I think the devil will put things in our life as a temptation to meditate on junk, right? You know, and we just read out of the meditations, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. So then we're meditating on junk. Then we start spewing junk and our words have power, right? You know, so then we start to convince ourselves and it's this bad cycle that we can end up in. As I was researching thoughts and all, one doctor said they did a study and they said as people get older and they don't have a purpose, it's not, it's kind of, but if they don't have anything to think about, this is actually what it said, their thoughts naturally go negative, you know? So that, that made me think like we all have people in our lives that I remember my, my grandma died when she was 100. And it was like when, when grandma started going downhill was when she felt like, and she didn't say this, but I could see it. She felt like there was nothing I can contribute to the family or to the church or to the world, you know. And, and it's not true. Like we can always pray. But for her, I can't cook the biscuits. I can't fry the chicken. I can't watch the kids anymore because I can't pick them up, you know. And it was, I think it's a challenge, you know, but. Up until pretty late in her life, you know, Grandma stayed positive. Not that she wasn't at the end, honestly, but that we have to really think about what we're thinking about. Yeah. Um, let's see, I did that point. The other thing is, just like you talked about our words, I feel like God showed me this a long time ago. My body will never go anywhere that my brain hasn't gone first. You know? So if I go and click on something... I've already thought about doing that. If I go and badmouth somebody, gossip about somebody, I've already decided to do that in here first. If I go and cheat on my wife, I guarantee you that's been thought about a lot before it happens. So this is, I didn't do any study, but I mean, I think, what is it? George Meyer wrote a book, The Battlefield of the Mind. It's probably, you know, that, that it starts here. We all know that, that it starts there. So I'm going to try to get to the really cool thing God showed me right now, okay? All right, so we'll go Ephesians 6.15. We got it up. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts. Actually says quench all the fiery darts. Is it not working, Mariah? Oh, man, sabotage. So it's Ephesians 6.15 and 16. The technical difficulty is my fault. Got it? All right. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, take, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So I, I, I kind of dug into that, those couple verses. Um, so the shield of faith, the word for shield right there comes from um, the word, I think it was called, pronounced Ruha, if I remember right. I have the number, which that doesn't do you any good. G2374. Um, but it, uh, it is, it's the root word. Yeah, there it is. It's, it's T-H-O-O and then Ra, through Ra, through Ra, meaning a four-sided large shield or a door. 
which I thought was interesting. So we raid our, our door of faith. Well, that's, that's almost different to me. Like, I don't know, just something about that. So I kept, I kept digging and, and reading. So another, another verse that came to me before I realized how they, could, they were connected. All right, John 10, 9. Did I give you that one? All right. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, this is what I got it for because we, I was thinking about the fiery darts of the wicked. Like, what are the fiery darts? What, what is their goal? You know, what is the goal of Satan? Satan. Satan. And actually, another word, fiery dart, is a missile when you look at it in the Strongs. Like, I think, like, pew. Devil's like, no. Coordinates, you know, longitude five, latitude 82. You know, like, he's got the crosshairs on us. You know, like, it's coming, right? It's not Cupid in a little cute arrow. This is a attack, right, on our minds. They're coming. Let's just, let's, fiery darts are coming. Jesus wouldn't have, I mean, actually, in Ephesians, Paul wouldn't have told us to, to have it if they weren't coming. Okay? Where did I, oh, I was in John. Yeah. So Jesus is our shield of faith. But what's interesting, let me find my notes here. The same word for door, so the G2374, Thura, is the word door there that we read in Ephesians 6.15. Okay, so the word shield in Ephesians, we raise to quench the fiery darts, comes from the root word, Thura, which Jesus calls himself in John 10.9, that he is the door, he is the shield. And when I read that, I was like... Wow, you know, that, that we think we have to do it. And I'm so guilty of this. I don't know, maybe it's a man thing or whatever, but I'm so guilty like, I've got to do it. Okay, God, shield of faith, you know, helmet of salvation. Because that's a warrior. He's ready to fight. But I think what Jesus is saying, I do it. Yeah. There, was, there was another story I heard this week driving to work. And he said, would you rather have, and I, I can pose a question to you because I answered it wrong, I guess. Would you rather have a whole lot of faith and walk out on a half inch of ice? Or would you have a little teeny bit of faith and walk out on two foot of ice? Well, how would you answer? Like y'all could, yeah. Everybody thinks I want to be the one that has a whole lot of faith, right? And so I, and that's what I thought. I want to be the guy with a whole lot of faith. Yeah, Jesus, I trust you, you know? And... He said, I made a note, don't go ice fishing with those people, you know. But his point is, and it's what Jesus is trying to tell us in John 10, 9. Jesus is two foot of ice. That it's not how much faith I have, it's what my faith is in. You know, that Bernie and I were talking about this Wednesday night, because I just heard it that morning. Like, my faith is in Christ. It is the finished work of the cross. It is the door to the missiles of the enemy that I can say, God, Jesus, you know, help me, right? Protect me. These things are coming in. It says fiery. There it is. There it is. Uh, missile of the devil. They intend to kindle something. So I've been taking Noah to this trail life group and we had a camp out and they're teaching the boys how to build a fire. And, 
you know, you got to get your tinder or your kindling, right? Because all it takes is a little, just a little spark, and then all of a sudden it goes. And that's, that's the purpose of the fiery darts is to kindle something in our minds that goes against the word of God. All right, I got another little story. Legendary investor and philanthropist, sorry, uh, I get tongue-tied on that one, Sir John Templeton had posed the question, how can we get six billion people around the world to practice gratitude? Not long after Sir John died in 2008, his daughter-in-law, Pina, I guess that's how you say it, Templeton, discovered a curious document in his personal archives. It was a short letter the visionary had included with his family Christmas card mailed out in 1962. Instead of using the letter in the way it is nowadays used to showcase his children's accomplishments or the family's annual vacation, he took the occasion to encourage readers to think of the mind as a garden and themselves as responsible for tending it. If you exercise no control, it will become a weed patch and a source of shame and misery. Is Gary in here? I thought about Gary while I was reading this. I see, I see a point. There you are. So now when you're pulling weeds, see, you can remember. All right. If you exercise no control, it'll be a weed patch, a source of shame and misery. If you exercise wise control, then it will be filled with God's miracles and become a place of indescribable beauty. You are free to choose which. How can you do it? He wrote. Simply. For example... Develop a habit of looking at each thought as you would a plant. Of course, this connects with me. But if it is worthy, if it fits the plan you desire for your mind, or if God desires for your mind, that's ultimately what we're trying to get to. I just lost my place. Cultivate it. Tend it. Take care of it. If not, replace it. How do you get it out of your mind, he wrote? Simply, by putting in its place two or three thoughts of love or worship. For no mind can dwell on more than two or three thoughts at one time. Circumstances outside the garden of your mind do not shape you. You shape them. For example, if you expect treachery, allowing those thoughts to dwell in your mind, you will get it. If you fill your mind with thoughts of love, you will give love and get it. If you think little of God, he will be far from you. If you think often of God, the Holy Spirit will dwell more in you. The glory of the universe is open to every man. Some look and see. Some control. Some look and not see. Sorry. Gardens are not made in a day. God gave you one lifetime for the job. Control of your garden or your mind grows with practice and study of the wisdom other minds have bequeathed to you. I kind of didn't like that, honestly. I mean, when I read it, you know, that I understand what he's saying, but control of your mind to me comes like study of the word of God. He who produces an item of unique beauty in his garden or his mind may have a duty to give that seed to others. As your body is the dwelling place of your mind, so is your mind the dwelling place of your soul. The mind you develop is your dwelling place for all your days on earth. And the soul you develop on earth may be the soul you are stuck with 
until you're gone, you know? So God's given us a choice on what we tend in our garden. Second um, Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapon of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Jesus must be in the forefront of our minds. We must run all of our thoughts and our meditations through him, the door, you know, the shield. Um, Every time we sing, his goodness is running after me. I think when I was in college, I I don't know, I had a very, I was in, I guess, I don't know where I was. I went to church every Sunday because that's what I was raised to do. Um, But I had two other roommates, and one of my roommates was big into the BSU, which is the Baptist Student Union. And he told me this later, a long time after it happened. But I had my girlfriend over, spending the night in the, in the apartment where we lived. And he said, they, a group of them were in our living room. And they were just praying and hanging out. And one of them said, I just saw something on his door, him be, his being me. And they said, I think it was a demon, you know. And they prayed that night for me while I was in their sleep, you know. And it just, it's just like you said, Pastor, like all that Jesus has done for us, we owe it to him to, to let him make our meditations of our heart blameless, you know. We owe it to him to cleanse us from our secret faults, our secret sins. Because I think what David was saying there is that we do things that we don't even realize, right? We think things, we say things, and we like, ah, it's fine. But I think what David is saying, there's stuff that comes out of this thing. There's stuff that's going around in here that's nasty. And his goodness really is going after us. It, he really is coming after us. And it's, I mean, we just, we owe it to the Lord to try to walk worthy. You know, it's, it's fire insurance is, is great. So, you know, and I'm not knocking salvation. Like, just like you said, if God doesn't do a thing else, if he doesn't heal my eye and we never had children and the list goes on and on, what he did on the cross is enough. But his goodness is still coming. And this isn't like God's going to give us all brand new cars and new houses. But this is, he loves us. And he wants good for us. And he wants us to be holy and righteous and think about lovely things and whatever is pure. He wants us to not let corrupt communication come out of our mouth. And it's not a like hard thing. And it's not that he's trying to make us so stressed out trying to walk it it's him saying i'm here to help you i'm here to do it um so i don't know it's probably super early i told megan i always have a long which feels like a long sermon i think i don't know how pastor bernie stands up there and talks as long as he does um but i also think this is what god gave me and why do i need to keep blah blah blind you know um yeah do you want to come up and close or
as he's doing, going through his message, I'm thinking, I want to get a copy of that because there are so many points that was deep and profound. Because as I'm sitting there, see, there's a, there's a message in the message. When you preach, there, there's usually a... And I try to look for that. When I come in on a Sunday morning, I'm listening to the, the words of the worship songs. Uh, I'm listening to uh, if somebody has a testimony or something, because I think God wants to say something. That's a, it's, an, a, it's a, an accumulation of all of that. And there's a message in it. Like this morning when I got up and I heard, you know, it's, it's your attitude. Your attitude is so important. Even when Paul and Silas was in the Philippian jail, their attitude was right. It's about attitude. Then I come in and Timmy brings this profound word. That, and, and I just felt like the Lord was saying to me that everything he said was spot on. It was deep. But it was not a suggestion. It's a mandate. It's a command with dire consequences. Because you see, we're going to be that lawyer and that lawyer and that judge. Because we will each appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the books will be open and they're going to say, do you know this guy? Like, oh yeah, I know him. And all the things that we thought about that we shouldn't have thought about. And the things that we said that we shouldn't have said will be, the Bible says that it'll be shouted from the housetops. You know, so I don't want those things read out in the courtroom. Like I know him. Yeah, he was a liar. He was a this. He was a that. Amen. So those are not suggestions. They're commands with dire consequences that we let the meditation of our heart, the words of our mouth be acceptable in his sight. And so when we're in here on Sunday morning, we hear that as like, yes, I want to do that. But when we're in the heat of the battle, brother, I'm like, the meditation of my heart is not always so pretty good. And usually out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a mother in here. I won't point her out. And her husband was telling me about their child did something. And the mom looked at that child and said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it convicted this young lady. Said so that she would repent, you know, because what's really going on in our spirit's going to come out right here. Amen. Amen. Good word, Tim. Thank you.